morning. So as uh, Christine is turning how old? 17. She has come of age and she uh, will manage our uh, display today. So she didn't just help me with the first picture here that uh, she'll put on. Can you give us our first slide? There you go. She also helped me with the pronunciation, which we'll see if I get right. Uh, this man's name is uh, John King Ho. Is that about right? John King Ho. And uh, he happens to be the richest man in all of China. He's worth uh, $13 billion. And uh, yet, he lives on $20 a day and eats meals with his workers, he spends up to $2 on his sneakers and clothes, and says since most people can't tell the difference between a $160 suit and a $16 suit, he doesn't understand why he should spend more on clothing. So maybe the example here, the illustration, is someone who has this vast wealth. I, mean, I don't know what you do with $13 billion, right? And yet, uh, he, he doesn't seem to be living up to the standard you'd expect him to. I mean, there's nothing wrong with living modestly, but uh, there seems to be a disconnect. And uh, that's a disconnect that's possible in the Christian life. Uh, God gives us, uh, we're told, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And yet, uh, often... Uh, you will look at our lives and, and feel that maybe, you know, we're, we're not living to that full potential of the blessings that can be ours in Christ. So that's what we want to think about today, is the blessings that we have in Christ. Uh, just a quick review, we've had a, a week break from Colossians, I'm sure everybody was thankful for, but now that we're back to the book, uh, we want to remember a little bit where we were. This is a... a uh, a letter by Paul written to a church in a place called Colossae. Therefore, it's called Colossians. And um, uh, there were some false teachers in the church, and they were uh, bringing some uh, new uh, uh, ideas or experiences that were not part of the teachings of the apostles. And he says this about it in Colossians uh, 2.18. He says, Let no one cheat you of your reward. Let no one cheat you of your reward. And that has to do with the fear he had of what his false teachers were doing to the Colossians. They were cheating them of the reward that was really theirs in Christ. There were blessings that they should have had in Christ, and they were being cheated by these false teachers. Again, uh, the false teachers seemed to be offering uh, the feeling of being wise, thinking that you know, we, we had the wisdom of the world. And... Um, some sort of spiritual experience, worship of angels, which may have been very exciting. But these things were not the blessings that are ours in Christ. That's not what really are the riches we can enjoy. And therefore, Paul, in the passage we look at today, is exhorting the believers to, if you would, take possession of their possessions in Christ, or the blessings that are theirs in Christ. With that, let's turn to today's passage uh, in Colossians chapter 3. In verse 12, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, and this is our first blessing, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, that's our second blessing, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ, third blessing, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Fourth blessing. 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay? So there were four blessings listed. The first one I mentioned is the bond of perfection. Now, my parents were, uh, you know, kind of caught a little bit with the movement of the 60s and uh, 70s. Uh, you'd remember phrases like, uh, make love, not war. Uh, they went to uh, Israel, and they found uh, a kibbutz. And our kibbutzes in Israel are somewhat similar to what communes were over here. And the idea, if you may remember, in communes was... People were supposed to go in there, and instead of living selfishly as we want, we, we tend to in the capitalistic system, which we you know, just make money so we can spend it on ourselves. And the communes, the idea is I'm, I'm, I'm trying to share everything I have with everybody else. Where have all the communes gone? <laughs> uh, it didn't last. And my parents found the same thing in the kibbutz system. It failed. And really, all of this was modeled after... Uh, basically the socialistic uh, uh, system which was designed by Karl Marx. You may have heard of Karl Marx. He lived 100 years ago plus. And uh, it turns out Karl Marx actually borrowed his ideas from Christianity. Uh, a friend of mine told me that he was actually the son of Messianic Jews. <laughs> so his parents may have been from a Jewish background, but believers in Christ. And he heard about what Jesus told his disciples. This is what Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And what Jesus did is he was creating this community of love. Right? That's what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to love one another. Right? And if you look at the early Christians, that's what they did. Right? They sold their possessions, they provided for one another. And Karl Marx said, this is beautiful, this is wonderful, we need to tell the world about it. He just omitted Christ, that was his mistake. Right? He thought we as people are good enough to live in a system like that where we just love one another without needing ourselves to be changed by Christ. Right? That really was the weakness of it. Uh, I had a, a whole list of verses here talking about this love. He says uh, in Romans 12.10, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. So this is, this is a common theme through the New Testament, the love of the church. It, it dominates the teaching uh, of Scripture. Uh, Ephesians 5.2, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. First Thessalonians 4, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So there's actually, I mean, we have, the reason the church can actually love one another is it's not something that's being compelled from the outside. It's not Karl Marx or Stalin or, you know, someone who rises to power and says, you guys are going to stop working for yourselves and you're going to start working for the community. You know, we'll take your money and we'll distribute it evenly. I mean, that was kind of what it ended up becoming. Um, but instead, we have God inside of each one of us telling each one of us we are to love one another, right? So it becomes an inward force, right? Not something that we're compelled to do from the outside. And uh, we also note that there's a call here to increase more and more. And, and you'd, you could start by asking Paul, why are you telling the Colossians they had to love one another? In chapter 1, he says, I've heard of your love to one another. Right? And I think uh, he credits, um, forget the name, Epaphras. You know, he declared to us the love you have for one another. Paul, aren't you satisfied? These people already love one another. But uh, there's a need to increase. Why? Why do we have to increase in our love to one another? Well, 
It's because Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you love me as much as Jesus loves me? Do I love you as much as Jesus loves you? Well, there's room for improvement, <laughs> okay? You need to increase, right? I mean, that's the standard that Jesus has given to us, right? And that's what we have in the rest of the passage, not the rest of the whole passage, but um, in verses uh, 12 and 13, Paul is exhorting them on different ways in which they need to increase in their love to one another. And he starts by uh, mentioning tender mercies, uh, kindness. Uh, the word for tender mercies is bowel, bowel of mercies, the insides of you. And um, it made me think of this verse in First uh, John, First John 3, uh, John says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. So again, Jesus is the example we're following. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? You know, I could be talking to you and you start telling me about your problems, you know, and, you know, my heart could be steered, right? I could feel it. Ah, oh, you know, that's really terrible. And maybe, you know, want to do something about it and alleviate your condition and, and show you mercy and kindness. Or it says here, I can shut up my heart. I can choose not to feel. <laughs> right? And uh, what, what uh, Paul is telling us is, is we need to feel for one another. We need to have these bowels of mercy. Uh, our conversation with each other during a nutrition break shouldn't be just superficial. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? <laughs> it shouldn't end at that level. There has to be you know, an opening of our condition. There has to be an opening of our brother's condition. And we need to feel for one another. That's what compassion means, right? Humility <coughs> is, uh, is not thinking of myself more highly than I ought to think of myself. Uh, putting myself at the same level, really, as anybody else here. There's no reason why I should be in a better situation than anybody else. You know, if, if I see a brother or a sister and they have a need and it's greater than mine, I should share what I have with them. Otherwise, I'm suggesting that I'm better than you and you deserve your situation. <laughs> I deserve my situation, right? There has to be humility, not thinking that I deserve something more uh, than what you do. And all these things, of course, the example is that of Christ. He, he beheld us from heaven. He saw that we were going to suffer in hell for all of eternity for our sins. And, and he effectively said, why should I sit here in heaven while they suffer? I'll go down and I'll take their place. He descended to our place and lower all the way down to hell to suffer for our sins so that we won't have to experience that. And that's the mind that's supposed to be in us. I'm not better than you. If I can in some way put myself in your place and alleviate you and your situation, that's something I ought to do. Right? That's, you know. Now all these things, of course, I'm not standing here and preaching as one who has achieved. <laughs> and come on, you guys need to come up to my level. Right? You know, we're talking about becoming like Christ. This is an area of growth, right? We want to become like him. And this is the bond of perfection, right? This is what Christ had in mind for us. The world cannot have it. The world wants it. And yet it is something as believers we can actually enter into, get into this situation of loving and being loved, having this supportive, loving community that the world is longing for. Well, Christ created it. He started it, right? That was his intention with the church, to have a community of people who love each other. And he wants us to enter into that experience. <clears throat> okay, so we talked about humility, meekness. Uh, we often, there's not a lot of verses about meekness in the Bible. We hardly know what that word means. It means gentleness. But one of the verses that comes to mind, 
Jesus said, uh, I am uh, meek. You know, take, take my yoke. I'm sorry, I have it written here, so why am I trying to remember what it says? Matthew 11, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lonely in, lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. Now, the imagery here, and you have a picture about a yoke. What does he mean when he says, I take, take my yoke upon you? As I understand it, uh, when uh, you had a new ox, right? So, so a yoke, by the way, is this thing that's, that's on top of those two oxen. And, uh, and it's used in order to harness the, the power of the oxen. If you have to plow the, plow the ground, it takes a lot of work. And uh, you could do the work by yourself, break your back in the process. Or you can take advantage of the strength of an ox, right? And you actually have a wood implement behind the ox. And as the ox walking, they're pulling this wood uh, implement and it plows up the ground. And you're utilizing the power of the ox. Now, if you, you know, can afford it, you can get two ox, right? And you have double the strength now pulling and really getting a lot of work done. Now, uh, if you have a brand new ox that has no experience doing it, it could be kind of a difficult thing to control this large, powerful animal and get them to do exactly what you want them to do. And so you'll, you'll harness them together with another oxen that, uh, that is well um, experienced, if you would. So you, you'll pick an oxen that is, if you would, a gentle you know, ox. He's already done it for a long time. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't get wild and kicks, right? And that's, that's what you pair the new ox with. You have your stable animal. And in a sense, that's what Jesus is saying. Take my, uh, my yoke upon you because I am meek. Right? I am gentle. Right? God, Jesus wants us to partner with him in doing the work of God. Right? That's what he's calling us to do. And he's saying, you can come alongside me. I will help you do the work of God. I will help train you to be able to do the work of God. And you can do that because I am gentle. I am meek. I am someone that you can yoke yourself next to. And a good example of that is, is uh, Peter, or rather Jesus' work in the life of Peter. You remember Peter and how Peter was this wild person, if you would, you know, saying one minute, you know, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And the next moment is, Lord, you know, this shall never happen to you, you know, not, not listening to what Jesus was telling him. Um, there was an occasion where uh, Jesus told the disciples that, that he was going to, to go to the cross. He would be separated from them. Right? This is just before his crucifixion. And, uh, and Peter tells him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Right? Again, making this wild statement. And Jesus is, knows Peter's heart. He knows Peter doesn't have whatever the faith or stability it will take to really stick with Jesus when Jesus is being arrested. And he tells Peter as much. And Peter again continues, no, Lord, I can go with you to prison and to death. Right? And then, you know, a little bit later, Peter de denies the Lord with oaths and curses. Right? And you think the next time the Lord sees Peter, he'll have a, a thing or two to say to him. Right? But what does he say? I mean, he, he meets Peter again, and he says, Peter, do you love me? I mean, that's all he said. He repeats it three times. If you love me, feed my life. He restores Peter to his, to, to his place. Right? And that's the way Jesus works in my life. Right? I'm, I, I make mistakes sometimes. Right? And the Lord doesn't give up on me. He keeps working with me. And... Uh, and when he's telling us here, Paul tells us that we should be meek toward one another, I think he's telling us we need to be gentle like Jesus. Yes, my brother here, he just stumbled, he just, you know, failed. I, I was counting on him, I've been training him, I want him to succeed. And yet, you know, once again, you know, I have to pick up the pieces. <laughs> what do they say? Be meek, right? You know, walk alongside, be gentle with one another. Don't, don't be rough with other believers. Be meek, gentle with them. Okay. Uh, Long-suffering is the next one we have. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Uh, Mr. Uh, Bongiorno is not here with us today, but uh, he, uh, 
told me when he came to Calvary that uh, you know, no, per- no church is perfect. No church is perfect. Uh, and if you find a perfect church, don't go in. Because as soon as you'll go in, it won't be perfect anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and that's true. We're, you know, we're sinners. And uh, I've probably done something that offended you in the past. And you've probably done something that offended me in the past. And the only way we can be this loving community <laughs> is if we learn to forgive each other, right? And uh, Paul, again, looking at Jesus as, an ex- as our example, Paul says this in First Timothy, However, for this reason I obtained mercy, meaning I was saved, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul was a, a persecutor of Christians, right? You know, he was putting them in prisons, putting them to death. And uh, all this time, Jesus was long-suffering with him and wanting to see him saved. In the same way, Jesus was long-suffering with each one of us. And in the same way, we ought to be long-suffering uh, toward one another. Okay. That's the first blessing here, which I, I confess we probably spent the lion's share of our time. But that's love, right? The world is longing for a community of love, and, and, and Jesus has given that to us, right? You know, this is something we should be able to have because that's, that was Jesus' design in creating the church. And he, he works us, in us from within, so nobody has to compel us from without to love each other. It's something that's coming from inside because of the work of Christ. Okay. The next one I mentioned was the peace of God. It says, let the peace of God reign in your heart, to which you are also called. And uh, I think this is talking about really the inward peace, which the world, you know, hungers for. People want to have this inner peace, and they'll do all kinds of things to try to gain that inward peace, um, that, that, that they need, uh, and yet in this world, uh, they, don't, they often don't find this peace. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, my peace, sorry, peace I live with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So it says that the world does give peace, right? It says, not as the world gives do I give to you. So the world sometimes gives peace, but that's really, you know, what, uh, it's a temporary peace, and it depends on my condition. Yeah, if, uh, if I had a good meal, I might feel peaceful, <laughs> right? But, you know, a little bit later, I'm hungry, and I may lose my peace. And, and, but the peace that Christ gives is a peace that's supposed to last, a peace that's not supposed to go away. Now, the Hebrew word for peace is uh, shalom. And uh, the word shalom comes literally from the root of wholeness or completeness. And the problem, the reason people don't experience peace or lasting peace is because they're not complete, right? There's something that is missing. God created us to have a relationship with himself. And without the relationship with God, you cannot have. The world is trying to provide a substitute, right? It'll, it'll try to offer you whether it's you know, good food or entertainment or other things that this world has, and it'll try to satisfy you, and it may satisfy you for some period of time, but you lose it because that is not what God designed you for. God designed you for a relationship with himself, and it's only in that relationship that you are truly complete, right? So every believer has the opportunity to experience this, this peace and really should be experiencing this peace. And yet Paul is exhorting the believers to let the peace of God reign in their hearts, rule in their hearts. So what is it that I need to do? Well, uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible uh, is Isaiah 26.3. It says that you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. And so our peace comes to the measure that my eyes are on Christ, 
right? And his provision for me, not when I'm looking at worldly circumstances. It's possible for me as a believer to look at my situation in the world and, and not have peace because I am not looking to Christ and trusting in him for my provision. Another verse that has a similar thought is Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, it says there, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Again, there's the promise of the peace of God. When does it come? When we pray. Right? When every, whatever it is that bothers me, whatever I'm concerned, whatever is troubling, I come and I lay it at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Right? And that's at that point I'm putting my trust in him. Lord, I'm committing this to you. I can't deal with it. You can't. And it's then that the peace of God comes upon us because we're trusting in him. We're not looking to my, ourselves. Right? As long as, as I'm looking to myself, myself and my capabilities, I will not have peace. The peace of God will not rule in my heart. It's all, only when I'm willing to lay down my own you know, self-confidence, uh, uh, self-dependence, and I instead put everything upon the Lord Jesus that I have this peace. Now, this is a gift of God. God gave us this gift of peace. It is accessible to every believer. Every believer you know, has experienced it to some level or another. But again, Paul is exhorting us to, to get more of it. Right? Let the peace of God rule in your heart, which means look more to the Lord Jesus. Right? That's how we receive uh, this peace. Let me go ahead and read this uh, hymn that uh, we have in our, in our book, because I think this is, you know, it captures that thought. And as we'll uh, talk a little bit later, often it's in these hymns we find, you know, great spiritual truths that speak better than uh, the person sta standing at the podium can speak. It says, Satisfied with thee, Lord Jesus, I am blessed. Peace which passeth understanding on thy breast. No more doubting, no more trembling. Oh, what rest. Oh, what rest. Occupied with thee, Lord Jesus, in thy grace, all thy ways and thoughts about me only trace deeper stories of the glories of thy grace, of thy grace. Taken up with thee, Lord Jesus, I would be finding joy and satisfaction all in thee. Thou the nearest and the dearest unto me, unto me. Listening for thy shout, Lord Jesus, in the air, when thy saints shall rise with joy to meet thee there. Oh, what gladness. No more sadness. Sin, no care sin, no care. So it's really as we look to the Lord Jesus that we, we can enjoy the Lord Jesus. If, if, if I, if I looking at other things, I won't enjoy this peace. But as long as I'm willing to look to him, be fully satisfied in him, I can experience the peace of God. That was our second blessing. The third blessing, as I mentioned, was the word of God. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This world believes in, uh, in um, education, right? I, I didn't find that out until I had my own kids. Uh, but uh, there's, there's a great stress there to find the best possible schooling for your children, right? People will pay top dollars to live in a neighborhood where there's a good school district. And uh, they have all these programs where you can save money now to pay to send your kids to college in 10, 15 years, right, because they're that expensive. But people believe that if the children get that best knowledge that the world has to offer, they would have the best possible life, right? And, and there's some truth, you know, in that, within what this world considers the best possible life. Right? What do we have? We have the Word of God. 
right? The creator of the universe has made his word accessible to you and to me. It says this in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. What's the first thing the word of God gives to us is it, it tells us how we can be saved and go and be in heaven forever. That's more than any educational system on this earth can give to you. Okay? And uh, it continues in verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, a good school system out there might, you know, train me to do a job that, you know, might make me a lot of money. And that's fine. But uh, the Word of God will tell me how to live my life on earth so that it counts for eternity. Right? The money that I make in this world, you know, could make, you know, some people happy on a temporary basis. Me living a life for God here brings glory to God that lasts for eternity. It uh, can bring happiness to others. It can lead other people to Christ, which means they'll be happy for all of eternity. And I get to be there and see the glory I brought to God and see the happiness I brought to people for all of eternity, and I can be happy for all of eternity. <laughs> right? So it's better, the word of Christ. Right? What God has given to us in his word is of far greater value than anything this world can offer as far as an educational uh, experience. Now he says here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Again, we have the word of Christ. You know, are, we, are we possessing our blessing? And uh, he says here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. How do we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly? So my mother, I, I mentioned this before, you know, when she was in high school, she used to put a textbook under her pillow before the exam. You know, she would literally sleep on her books. <laughs> and uh, you know, I think there was maybe a belief of learning by osmosis. You know, if my head is in proximity to this book, maybe tomorrow when I'm sitting and facing that exam, all these words will come, you know, back to me. You know, that's not how the Bible works, right? You can't sleep on it. You can't have a Bible or five Bibles in your house. You have to open them and read them, right? I mean, the first way to let the Word of God come and dwell in you richly is opening the book and just reading what it says. Now... That's something I've been advised as a young believer. I was told you should have a quiet time. And in your quiet time, you should read maybe a chapter of the Bible and spend some time in prayer. And, and that, that's an, an excellent thing to do. And if you don't have a, a time during the day that you set aside to be reading the Word of God, I, I strongly recommend it. But uh, to me, there was uh, a big step forward in my, in my walk with the Lord uh, when I realized that I had to have an opportunity to really spend more than just 10 minutes a day in the Word of God, and that was during my commute. You know, I spend somewhere between an hour and two hours on the road every day, commuting. Not every day, every Monday through Friday. And, uh, for, you know, there's all kinds of things you can do during that time. You know, you can get mad at the traffic, and all the people around you. Or you could say, well, all right, I'll, you know, I'll try to listen to something entertaining. And I did that for a long time. I was listening to books on tapes um, or music, if you enjoy listening to music. Or you could actually use that time to intake the Word of God. Right? You could uh, listen to sermons. Right? You can download sermons from our website. Uh, there's lots of other good... Uh, Sermons out there other than our website, there's Voices for Christ. I don't know how many thousands of sermons they have there. Uh, so, so there's other opportunities to have intake into your word. And it says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Which means the more you take in of it, the more blessed you'll be by it. Okay, there is no limit. Really, in all of these blessings we're describing, 
we're going to find our hands are too small to hold those blessings. The wider we open our arms, the more of those blessings we'll receive. And the same thing with the Word of God. The more of your life you can dedicate to the Word of God, to intaking the Word of God, the more you'll be blessed by the Word of God. There's no limit except to how wide you can open your arms. Uh, then it says, uh, in all wisdom, and I think the exhortation there is really to understand and apply the Word of God to, to your life. So it's not just about reading the Word of God. Right? I had a friend that just uh, put the, uh, the Gospels into his uh, tape player or CD player in the car, and he was just listening over and over and over. And he, uh, the guy actually wasn't really learning anything from them. It was more of a, you know, he felt that he was safer in the car by having the Gospels in the background. It was kind of a spiritual thing to have the, the, the Word of God in the background. Well, really, the purpose is for us to understand what he says and then apply it to our lives. That's what it means in all wisdom. Then it says, uh, teaching and admonishing one another, and this is something we don't always like. You know, I want to be able to have God talk to me, <laughs> right, through the Bible. But sometimes God wants to talk to me through somebody else. Right? He might reveal something to you in his word that he hasn't revealed to me, and he actually wants me to get it from you. Maybe it's one of God's way of trying to build us together as a church. Right? And uh, it could be that there's something in my life I'm blind to. Right? I may have a plank you know, in my life, and it's blinding me, and you can see it. On the outside, say, boy, Noad really has an issue with this area of his life. I mean, here's what the Bible says. Here's Noad's life. And uh, you can come in and tell me about it. Now, please be gentle. But uh, that's what it says, to admonish one another. Right? That's part of how I am to be blessed by the Word of God. It's not just through my own personal study of the Word of God. It's by receiving something from other people who are in the Word of God. And then, finally, it says, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And he talks about singing the word of God, right? Our hymns we have that we sing, I mean, they really have the word of God in them. I like this uh, commentary about this passage uh, by Barnes. So I'll just read it. He said, Dr. Johnson once said that if he, if he were allowed to make the ballads of a nation... He cared not who made the laws. And a ballad, we don't, today, it seems most of the singing is done by these superstars, you know, and we're all having, plugging their CDs into our car, or I guess no CDs, we have MP3 players or whatever, and we listen to other people singing. It used to be, I think, singing was more of a common thing people did, and that's what's called ballads. And uh, what this guy said that if he were allowed to make the ballads of a nation or the songs people were singing all the time, he cared not who made the laws. Which the point is that the singing of the people, when people were singing songs, it really had more of an impact on their character and on their lives than the laws that somebody made for the nation. And Barnes continues and says, in a more important sense, that he who is permitted to make the hymns of a church need care little who preaches or who makes the creed, he will more effectually mold the sentiments of a church than they who preach or make creeds and confession. So the point there was that really singing the word of God, singing these hymns, singing these praise songs, can often have more impact on my spiritual life than hearing somebody standing in the pulpit and preaching. Right? There's such value in these hymns, and really the singing has a way of just connecting with our heart that it has a great impact on us. So part of intaking the Word of God should be singing. Right? I mean, this is the Word of God, okay? I'm not making this up. It sounds kind of strange. Singing, but singing the Word of God, right, in hymns that you have, which we obviously do before and after we preach. <laughs> so at least you get some value out of being here. But, uh, you know, you could do it at home too, right? Nothing wrong in taking a hymn book home and enjoying it uh, at home. Talk to Matt, <laughs> the keeper of our hymn books. If you want to take one home, you're very welcome to. 
let, uh, let Matt know. Okay, so that was our, our uh, third blessing. The last blessing, blessing I men mentioned uh, is in the next verse. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Uh, when I was uh, in Israel, uh, I met uh, the son of my step-grandmother. I don't know what that makes him. <laughs> but he was an ambassador, Israel's ambassador to Turkey. And uh, I just remember feeling very honored to meet him. Here was a man entrusted by the nation of Israel to represent Israel to the country of Turkey. Now, you might not think much of Israel or Turkey, so it may not mean as much to you, but if, if there was an ambassador, if you met someone and, oh yeah, I'm the ambassador to England. I'm the, you know, when, when he is in England, he would be the highest authority of the United States in that nation. Right? He represents the nation to the country he was sent to. Right? And what this talks about is really our ambassadorship. Right? It says, whatever you do in word or did, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means when I am doing something here, at least this is what I'm being exhorted to do. Our lives doesn't always reflect it, of course. Whatever I do ought to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, meaning that is what the Lord Jesus wants to be done in this world. That's what I should do. That, that's what an ambassador does, by the way. Ambassador doesn't live his own life. His life is to represent the will of the country that's sent him. Right? He's supposed to communicate to Turkey what it is that Israel wants done. His life is supposed to always reflect that. In the same way, my life here on earth can be a life where everything I say and everything that I do is something I do in obedience to the Lord Jesus. That's the will of the Lord Jesus. That is why I'm here. That's why I'm saying this. That's why I'm doing these things. Your life can be that. I mean, that is what Paul is asking us to do. Our lives ought to be lives of ambassadors for the Lord Jesus. We get to represent him. I personally think that's more honor than being the, you know, Israel's ambassador to Turkey, right? Being able to be Jesus' ambassador to this world. You and I are those ambassadors, right? Well, how? How am I an ambassador of the Lord Jesus? You know, how, how do I respond to this exhortation uh, that's given to me? Well, that's really the rest, the, the next verses. So I was hiding from you the fact we had some more verses today. But they, they all line up here, uh, really following this thought. So continuing in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, Wives, submit to your own husband as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. All right, how are we to be ambassadors to this world? Well, we are to live the kind of lives that God wanted people to live in this world. And the first one is the family. There's basically two here. We have the family and we have the workplace. Right? In the family, it's talking about wives and husbands, children and parents. And then in the workplace, it talks about bond servants or people who serve others and the masters, those who get served, kind of employers and employees, if you would. Now, when God created the family, he had a certain picture in mind, and it's not that picture, <laughs> right? When God created the family, right, he created Adam, and he brought Eve out of his side, it was to have a perfect relationship of a husband and a wife, 
right? And in that perfect relationship, uh, the wife was to submit to her husband, and the husband was to love his wife. And in the same way, he created children, right? That was part of God's design, that the husband and the wife will come together and create this loving relationship, and out of that come children, and children are supposed to obey their parents, and parents are supposed to, to love their children and, and seek their children's welfare first. And this world, the picture is completely messed up, right? But we, as believers, have an opportunity to live that picture. We can be, you know, uh, wives, have an opportunity to submit to their husband and to fulfill that part of the picture. Uh, it says in uh, 1 Peter 3, wives likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste and uh, chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So the wife can be a testimony of the will of God by herself putting herself under the will of God and within the will of God putting herself under her husband. She is a demonstration of what it is that God had in mind. right? And it can even work on the husband himself. The husband himself can see it and realize, you know what? She's not doing it because of me. I am not worthy of this submission that he's doing. I know she's doing it because of God, right? Because she fears God. And that means I should fear God too. <laughs> and I should also do what God wants me to do. So the wife can have an impact on the husband without a word to the husband by simply submitting to her husband, the evidence of God. Um, now, the husband is called to love his wife. We're told in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And there's a picture here. When God created the marriage relationship, he had a picture in mind. He wanted to show the love that Christ, that Jesus had for us or for the church. And the husbands get to fulfill that part of the picture. And to the extent to which I love my wife and show love to her, I show the world how much it is that Christ loved the church, right? And by doing it, I'm being an ambassador of God. I'm, I'm trying to show this picture that God had put into the marriage relationship. The same thing with children and their parents. The children obey their parents. It's a picture of how we should obey God the Father, right? And parents should not provoke their children. They should love them and really sacrifice for them. What is it that provoked children? It's when they see their parents doing things in a selfish way. Their parents are telling them to obey, and then the parents are living for their parents. That's what provokes children. When children see that their parents love them and are sacrificing for them, it doesn't mean not disciplining your children. By doing everything clearly in love and clearly for the welfare of the child, the parents, the children, can appreciate the parents. That creates the kind of picture of a family that God wanted to be in place. And you know, when we do that in the world, we're so different from the way this world is, that people ask us, what's different in your life? Why is it that your family is like this and our family is all in pieces, right? And that gives you an opportunity to talk. Well, you know, I'm just trying to obey God and do what God says in his word we ought to do. And it gives you opportunity to transition to the gospel, right, and share with them about Christ. Being an ambassador, you know, the main purpose of being an ambassador is we want to reach others for Christ. But we do it by living for Christ. I think you, t you spoke in the previous uh, uh, class about being the salt of the earth. Uh, if the salt loses its flavor, it doesn't have any value. If our lives do not reflect the will of God, all value is lost. Right? When our lives reflect the will of God, we have opportunity to witness to others. Okay, and then the workplace... Uh, it talks about bond servants uh, doing, obeying their masters in sincerity of heart, fearing God, not with eye service. Uh, in the workplace, most people uh, find out how much it is they have to do and they can get away with, right? Instead of really putting their best. What is it that I need to do so that my boss won't bother me? <laughs> or my boss won't think I'm not pulling my weight, right? And they stop them. And people can see that. Right? They can see you're not really putting 100%. You're not really being faithful to your workplace. And when you're different from that, when instead of that, you are really giving your best to the workplace, you're not getting involved in things other people are, 
There's a testimony there. People notice it's something that's different about you. And it gives, gives an extra ear for the gospel as a result. Same thing with masters. They're told to treat their bond servants right now. Again, we don't have so much masters here. Uh, I think we have one person who actually owns a company. But you don't have to, be, to own a company to be in this category. You may have someone that's reporting to you. You may have somebody under you in the workplace. And you could be, take advantage of that person, you know, be not very kind to that person that's working under you. They have to do what you tell them to do. Or you can be different from the way the world is and be kind to them, right? And treat them right and fairly, right? And again, that gives an opportunity for the gospel. That's being an ambassador of the Lord Jesus. You're presenting to the world what he wants, the way he wants you to live. And then you have an opportunity uh, to share with others too. Okay, um, just in clothing, closing, I was thinking of, uh, of a verse in Malachi. Again, we, we're talking about the blessings that should be ours in Christ, right? Uh, you know, if, if the Colossians were enjoying all of these blessings, I think they wouldn't be very interesting, interested in what the uh, false teachers had to offer them. You know, I don't need to appear to be wise in the ways of the world. Right? I have uh, the love of the church. <clears throat> I have the peace of God. I have the word of God. I'm an ambassador of God in this world. You know, I don't care what the world thinks about me. Right? I don't need these spiritual experiences. I have all that I need in Christ. But because perhaps they didn't enjoy their full blessings in Christ, what the false teachers were offering sounded attractive. And uh, the same is, of course, possible for us to do as well today? Are we enjoying everything that uh, Christ has for us? Well, this is what it says in Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithers into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be not room enough to receive it. Now, in the case of Israel, they needed to bring tithing. That was part of the law. This is not, we're not under that same law. We already have all the blessings of God accessible to us. And really, the question is, can we receive it? How wide can we open our arms to receive all the blessings that God has for us? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, thank you that you are the source of our blessings. We know, Lord, we haven't done anything to deserve these blessings. And yet, Lord, you make them all accessible to us. Lord, our uh, fear, of course, is that uh, like the Colossians, uh, we, we don't take full advantage of this blessing. We don't experience everything uh, that you have paid for so that we can enjoy it in this world. Lord, whatever it is that might be inhibiting us from enjoying all these things that you have in mind for us, show us so that we can get it out of the way and really enjoy all the blessings of Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen.